Blog Talk Radio. today. As you'd imagine, we're going to have another very interesting show. We have invited back Drs. J.J. and Desiree Hertog of the Academy of Future Science. <clears throat> Those of you who have been listening for some years will recognize their names because uh, I have spent time with them in the studio talking about their work, which is very far-ranging, very powerful and impactful on the way we are living today. We've had them on the television show, A Better World TV. We've had them on A Better World Radio, and it's really my pleasure to invite them back again today. Uh, they're internationally renowned. Dr. Hurtok originally was very well known for his book called The Keys of Enoch, which really took the world by storm, and there were... <clears throat> Keys of Enoch groups showing up across the planet for people to discuss this work, this powerful healing and meditation that is embedded in the work. And they have gone on to do the formation of this international NGO connected to the UN, as I mentioned, the Academy for Future Science. They're both social scientists who spend a lot of time with indigenous people in different places, such as South America, South Africa, Australia, <clears throat> and advocacy work for them. At the same time, they have been meeting with government officials and others regarding the state of the world and looking at our planetary situation from an ecological, ecosystemic, and environmental point of view, as well as social. And we're going to be spending today's show really looking at this today, because we're all really so alerted, to be on the kind way of putting it, but even alarmed at what is happening to our precious species and species at large. <clears throat> we have witnessed over the past seven to ten years literally a halving of the species on this planet, latest research has shown. And we have watched our planet warm up. We're watching the melting of the ice caps. Anyone who is paying any modicum of attention must be nothing short of alarmed at what the profit motive is doing and the unconsciousness that accompanies it to our precious life-giving planet. So today, with the Hurt Talks with me, 
we will be looking at these questions of what is the state of the planet and we'll be looking at solutions because God knows that's where we need to focus. So uh, those of you I just want to also say that do not yet receive the newsletter where I've written up this show today and uh, is available prior to the show so you can forward the newsletter to your friends, just go to abetterworld.tv, www.abetterworld.tv, where the free newsletter is there, and you can incorporate and include all of your friends and family and uh, colleagues so they can participate in and listen to our weekly shows at 6 p.m. and learn about our weekly TV and radio shows. So without further ado, I want to invite you both and uh, welcome you both to A Better World. Thank you, Mitchell. We're so honored to be here. You reach around the world with A Better Planet, and we all know we all face really a unique opportunity now to meet the challenges Mother Earth is presenting to us with positive strategies and SRA. And I have been honored to be part of the UN family through our participation with ECOSOC, with the Economic and Social Council. Our NGO, Academy for Future Science, has been a member of ECOSOC. We've had the opportunity to work with uh, shamans, tribal leaders, people throughout the world, as well as with uh, local government leaders who realize we need to localize, use hands-on approaches to what Mother Nature is telling us. Namely, our non-renewable resources are running out. The coral, the plankton, the basis of the food chain in the oceans is being disturbed. The planet is heating up. And we are really looking at a positive message. If we look carefully at the scenarios our indigenous brothers are telling us, rather than simply reading abstract, brothers abstract analyses from so-called ivory tower specialists. Right. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Mitchell, uh, we're here at the United Nations, and that's when all the heads of state, in fact, I think they had more heads of state than ever before come to the United Nations. For the General Assembly? The, yes. And the, topic, and the climate change conference. Well, the thing is that the topic of the General Assembly was climate change. So each person, yes. each president, I should say, or prime minister, for the most part, got up in the General Assembly and said what their country is doing. And that was amazing because everyone is trying to get together and work. In fact, I was at one with Aruba, and you know, it's a very small country, but in actuality, they've actually turned the entire tide of how they use energy at first uh, they were doing, of course, a lot of imports and stuff, and you'd think they'd use solar, but they didn't. They actually went also to wind. And what's interesting is wind is actually surpassing a lot of other energy technologies throughout the world, which is great. But what was happening is there, a lot of their economy was from tourism. And this is very important because people were thinking, okay, yeah, money's coming in, money's coming in, and we're making money, and all this is great. And then 2008 hit, and Aruba realized that they were really poor, that the uh, schools, that the health care for the people there was nothing. So they shifted. They said, look, we'll take in money from tourism, but we're also going to really move that money into helping people. And this goes along with also the country of Bhutan, if you're familiar with that, yes. who started with something... A good Buddhist country. Right, but they walked out and they said, we want to do not gross national product, 
but gross national happiness. happiness. And this yeah. really made a difference in terms of the way they look at things. And I think this is something we can all learn from. Absolutely. I know about, in fact, even 60 Minutes. It's not just on A Better World. Even 60 Minutes did a show on the happiness quotient that is measured in Bhutan. And they're setting, they've really set a momentum for the rest of the world to really think about a qualitative appreciation for well-being and the health and happiness of people, not just the quantitative monetization of their people, the economics. In fact, I want to take a moment and tell you all and the audience that there will be an event taking place at Cooper Union, the Great Hall of Cooper Union, on the economics of happiness. Very interesting uh, full-day conference on really looking at this. In fact, uh, one of the organizers wrote a book on Ladakh and the way it has changed from being this beautiful indigenous culture uh, that had everything running smoothly until there was Western uh, encroachment influence, and uh, it disrupted all that. It disrupted their happiness factor and monetized virtually everything, and then all of a sudden, for the first time, people didn't have jobs. You know, They never had a thought about people being employed. Everyone was always employed. So I appreciate your point, Desiree, very much about this. I, I want to say something about Aruba. Uh, by the way, if you want to learn more about the Economics of Happiness Forum, go to abetterworld.tv. We have it highlighted there on our homepage. Uh, so in uh, early, um, end of October, early November, I don't remember exactly. But uh, just to say that Aruba, I'm so glad you mentioned that because uh, uh, a very dear friend and colleague of mine, uh, Raul Arondo, who is an an electric engineer uh, introduced me to uh, the government, essentially, of Aruba, not directly, but with my technologies, which are all renewable and waste to energy and the like, because I was told by him that they were looking to be the first island nation that was completely renewable and all green. That yeah, that's exactly and what I heard for, directly from the Prime Minister himself. So he was talking at the General Assembly, talking about that. And it's because they realized it looked so good on paper, you know, until 2008, when they realized they had nothing, they had done nothing for the people. And they had done nothing for the island. They, it was just, you know, money coming in from the tourists and whatever, whoever was getting that money, I don't know. But they needed to shift, and they made a concerted effort then, in the, you know, since, we'll say, 2008, 2009, to really change the entire thing. And they can be. Every single place of these islands in the Caribbean can use solar, can use wind, every place in Africa. And this is an Probably. ideal model for the hundreds of small island nations throughout the world, particularly in the Pacific. Just what I was thinking. So this is what the motivates Pacific, us. Even. The Academy for Future Science is called that because we believe there always will be a future and there always will be science. In a deeper sense, the sacred science of how consciousness, unconditional love, and wisdom must work together if we are to use hands-on problem-solving. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of statistical reports that are being generated by ivory tower economists, 
specialist in one part of Mother Nature, but not the whole planet as a totality. And so we see. Could you talk about that? I'd like to actually hear how the ancient wisdom and sacred knowledge uh, that you are both so familiar with can directly apply to our current situation environmentally. Exactly. We are honoring members of the Shavanti indigenous people of Mato Grosso, Brazil, which is one of the more than 20 tribes really on the firing line of habitat existence or dissipation, annihilation, destruction, and having also the scientific as well as the anthropological background of being closer to indigenous people, we have a heart-to-heart relationship of realizing they sustain themselves by seeing their daily space as sacred space. They see the integration of all aspects of life in a holistic prism of how everything we do we take responsibility for. Hence, negative thinking, alarmist thinking, even the overemphasis upon the cycle of violence is, for the most part, simply not in the picture. We are living with the dawning complexity of a magnitude opportunities that we must take advantage of, which requires collaboration of stakeholders, thinkers, and NGO experts, such as those that we've talked about in previous programs. But the big picture is really to see the interconnectionness, if I can say the interconnectedness of the mindsets of consciousness, the human performance, the whole realization of our higher consciousness capacity to real solutions that are just around the corner. And, you know, that's the sad thing about our modern culture. You know, we're living in, we'll, ha- we'll say we have two cars in the driveway, we have TV sets that cost us now a fortune to get on cable, we have all these things, but people really don't seem to be happy. And I think that happiness is what we really have to look and strive for. And I know many people are actually quitting their day jobs, which sometimes I tell them not to, but anyway, some of them are quitting their day jobs just to find out how they can get back to nature or to their own self to really feel they can do something for the planet and not just work nine to five. So that's the real thing that I think is going on now. And those people, and I'm not telling people to quit their day jobs, but I'm saying those people who are searching for something more are starting to move into what I call an upward spiral of life. They're starting to see how they can help how they can serve, how they can be a little bit different. And, yes, we can worry about the water. Right now we're actually also Californians, even though we live out here in New York from time to time, and California is in a dire state right now. It's a very dire state. People don't realize it. It's completely stricken by drought. If you will not find it uh, really – Right, you will not find this discussed in the news media on commercial television because it's too dire. Commercial television, yes, commercial television is, shall we say, over-consumed with a culture of death rather than the culture of peace. And we must exemplify this culture of peace amongst ourselves, with our indigenous brothers and sisters, but also with other life forms, such as the species in the oceans and jungles that are being, shall we say, illuminated just by our unconscious attitudes to taking situations of life for granted. We must engage. I would say uh, 
to both of you that um, commercial media, which is really a very important pillar of our society, is also camouflaged in deception. And they seem a whole lot more dedicated to death, as you say, but also to falsehood and propaganda. Because, you know, knowing that there is a drought of 60% in California, which is the home of all of our fruits and vegetables, or a mainstay of them for our country alone, uh, that they are suffering this level, this magnitude of drought is a truth that we all need to be able to cognize so we can begin to change our relationship to the earth, to the water in particular, and make upgrades in our, our smart use of it. Also, you know, right, it's please. not just water, but a lot of no, electricity certainly. actually comes from the Hoover Dam. And when the water level goes down there, they're not going to be able to make the electricity yeah, that Los Angeles point. needs for all those millions of people. So there's a lot of problems that are lining up. They're all completely interconnected. I mean, you know, it's like the hip bone's connected to the knee bone. And I think the sad thing is that people have to uh, realize, and this is one thing with the the future uh, of global climate change that the UN was addressing is that we have to be one step ahead of the game. Now that we've kind of accepted that this is taking place, whether you call it global warming or global cooling, doesn't matter, but we have to be prepared. And that's the scary thing. We're not we're not taking that advanced leap. There are a few Exactly. That's a very important point. Yeah, in terms of it's water. It's like global red cross, folks. Get ready, be prepared. Like think about on a small micro level of here in New York City when we had uh, Hurricane Sandy. You know, who is prepared with generators, with water, with food, with can with candles, with blankets even, you know? Well, this is the level on which we were forced to deal for those weeks or 10 days. Well, take a look at the Ebola crisis, and we don't have to get into the cause of it, but the idea that nobody was prepared for that. They have nothing in place to know whether people should be flying to and from Africa, who should be flying, who should be going, how to protect it. All this stuff is, needs to have some prep so that we know what's going to happen for the planet. And this is what I'm trying to say is that, that those plans and preparations. Now, some individuals, of course, have done that, but sometimes it's too extreme. I mean, we all need to work together. Exactly. We all need to be together. Right. We all need to help each other, and that's the incredible thing. Living in New York, people say, well, should I get out of the city or should I get out of Los Angeles because of earthquakes? Well, we all have to know what our mission is. And where we have to be on the planet, if it has to be even in the area of Liberia or ground zero for Ebola because you're a nurse or a doctor who can help, then that's your mission. We're here on the planet to really make it a better place. We're caretakers and also caregivers, and that's so important that people have to realize. Yes, Yes, well said, Desiree. This is the commitment we made years ago in our opportunity to work in the developing nations, to see the positive side that is there in the latent attitudes of people, to reach up and to bootstrap their consciousness perspectives, not to be pigeonholed in old situations of drama and the neuroses and psychoses of plastic civilization, telling them the game is up if you don't buy these products, or you don't, shall we say, bring education according to certain textbooks in this direction. Mother Nature herself is a textbook, and what she's teaching us now is we must hear her cry that we're all together. Mother Earth is our 
common space. It's a sacred space, but also it is a evolutionary space that we're endowed with as stewards. And I'm using this term in terms of recognizing the building of critical infrastructure that starts within our human psyche, within our mind, recognizing that we have fantastic mental abilities, spiritual abilities, and pragmatic abilities if we can organize them properly and work out, as it were, a roadmap of human performance, higher consciousness, and what I will call a consciousness cosmology of recognizing that we can overcome the pandemics, the projections of what I would call the industrial hang-ups to see a healthy and joyous future for all on this planet. I know Kofi Annan was here just recently in New York and at the UN on the 25th of last month, September, he spoke briefly on the Zero Hunger Challenge program, which he launched in 2012. And since that time, a lot of people have taken seriously what was proposed even many years before at the UN as one of the targets to bring the problems of over 100 million people who do not have the proper food resources down considerably. Over 209 million people have been taken off that large list of having adequate food supplies given to them. So the economic reciprocity, the ability to balance our needs, to adapt to different lifestyles that, uh, shall we say, are healthier for us and will endure us to non-renewable resources that we can safeguard and take care of, of course, is all before us as cultivating the green thumb and thinking green. And also thinking local, which is something you both made reference to before. I have had David Corton on the show, who I feel is one of the stronger voices in that regard of one building of local economies yes. so that we can get out of this box store headset and feeding a kind of economy that we actually don't really believe in. That is not to our advantage. It's the it's that larger multinational headset that has an interest only in itself, not in us. But when we're dealing on a local level, on local farmers and our friends who are in business around us, one person, you know, it's so funny. I don't have to tell you both, but this is the way life used to be. It was village level. It was town level. It was county level. And it wasn't global. People can think globally if they want these days. I think it's fabulous. I love our global village. But when it comes to day-to-day living uh, and acquiring and so-called voting with our dollar, which is the most powerful vote of them all, it should be done locally. And I feel that you two are doing something significant in helping to promote that idea. Mitchell, I have a very unique expression I'd like to share with our worldwide audience. Please. Rather than thinking globalization, we should think of peopleization. Uh, and what is peopleization like all about? It is basically localizing the agenda, feeling your roots of consciousness, feeling the roots and vitality of Mother Nature, and recognizing that culture and development on Mother Earth have gone through horrific, catastrophic changes. But people who have survived, species that have survived, have had a foretaste of these coming changes. We, with our unique paraphysical abilities, I call them the paraphysical abilities such as remote viewing, remote sensing, healing, etc., can be part of this great uh, avant-garde of getting sociology, economics, and what we will call the higher powers of the mind to work together on these challenges. It cannot be from the globalization level. It has to come from the hearts 
and minds of those who see peopleization at work. And our practical Hallelujah. I very much appreciate that, JJ. And on a practical level, I know you, Mitchell, go occasionally to the Union Square Market, which is all Occasionally, locally. like about three days a week. Okay. <laughs> and also, people are now starting to do urban gardening, and there's quite a few uh, of those large... Roof gardening. Roof gardening. Is, uh, the South Bronx is getting, is getting transformed. I mean, I don't remember the name of the woman who was on the TED Talks, this black woman who uh, was born and raised there and is playing a leading role in the transformation of the South Bronx, who would have thunk it? So even now, the real estate values are increasing because it's becoming more desirable because it's becoming all green. In South Africa, we have a woman by the name of Clara Matzian of the Zulu uh, tradition, and she has done exactly there in the areas of the the uh, major cities of South Africa we're talking about here in New York. She's gotten people to cultivate gardens to see it as a benefit, to organize in society, to work with a local barter system, to to really work with the local banking system that enhances the needs of people on a local level. This is the key to success, is getting away from all of these super, super giants that they're thinking in the clouds rather than looking at the realities of what Mother Nature is telling us, that we are basically local beings waking up in the cosmology of being universal beings at the same time. So we realize, put. We realize that there's going to be more and more problems. Ebola disease is one thing. Uh, volcanoes going off like we see in Iceland and other places. There's just a few other. We were just uh, out in Australia, Papua New Guinea had a volcano that just exploded. There's all these While things. you were there? Well, yeah, actually, but it didn't hit Australia so much. But it actually ruins the whole idea of carbon uh, dioxide and methane, all the things we're trying to save, these volcanoes are actually just spewing oh, it, it into the atmosphere. completely skews the picture of all of the efforts we're making to control our carbon footprint. Yeah, exactly. So the sad thing is with all these things going on, there's going to be more and more situations. And I know people are feeling frustrated. That's the main thing. But they can do stuff no matter where they are. So anyone who's feeling frustrated out there, figure out what you can do to make it better mostly in your own community, and there are amazing things you can do, whether it's foster care, whether it's Big Brother, whether it's agriculture. Yes, yes all, all of the above. We've got a terrific plethora of documents and film, music, position papers, things that you can get your hands on by looking at our websites, uh, futurescience.org or keysofenoch.org or wellbeing. Um, all of these areas of importance we have our documentaries that we have collected in our field research over the last 30-some years in different parts of the world. The bottom line is that we are all engaged at this critical time to either look forward, the positive leap into the, for, the forward well-beingness of the planet, or being dumbfounded by the, shall we say, the downloading of too much negativity where we feel outwitted, outwhelmed, outmaneuvered, and hence, those of us who are most sensitive give up our mission statement to be courageous, to be helpful, and to be futuristic in building a positive future. I want to let you all know that you are listening to uh, Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time or Standard Time, depending on the season. And if you're not familiar with our website, I want to direct you to a betterworld.tv where you can engage us on a very active level 
through our weekly free newsletter. Uh, you can sign up for that on the side. It's very easy. And that announces the shows and the guests that we have on on Wednesday nights as well as Monday nights on uh, television here in New York City and Progressive Radio Network on Tuesday afternoons where we examine different films, progressive films, making a difference using media and art as a way of influencing our thinking and our future. I also want to just uh, add, I looked up in the meantime, the Economics of Happiness uh, event that I mentioned before, and it is called Voices of Hope in a Time of Crisis, November 8th at the Great Hall of Cooper Union. You can go to our website, betterworld.tv, or www.localfutures.org. Boy, aren't we just talking about that? Localfutures.org. And uh, you can sign up there and just uh, let them know that you've heard about that here at A Better World. So I want to just remind you all that you are listening to uh, Drs. J.J. and Desiree Hurtock, the Academy of Future Science. They are both founders of this international NGO, and they travel the world uh, speaking with both indigenous peoples as well as leaders in government and business to seek to educate and influence the thinking of people uh, to actually create a better world, which is why we've invited them back again and again to be guests on our show. I'd like to turn to you both right now and uh, ask about... uh, When you do your traveling, what is it that you feel from the people you're meeting on the ground as well as in government and their interest in actually grappling with these difficult global issues that we're talking about? Well, the challenge that we find with most government leaders is the one that they need a lifeline coming from those that they recognized are connected with responsible organizations or agencies, namely connected with the UN family. And having had a background in deforestation studies, environmental studies in Brazil, uh, my voice and interest, uh, particularly in the use of remote sensing radar to look at larger areas of Brazil, particularly the outback, uh, drew me to the interest of one of the former specialist in the Brazilian government, Dr. José Lutzenberg, who was the Minister of Ambiance or Environment for the Brazilian government, a few uh, government cabinet levels back, who recognized that if the deforestation would continue as it was doing in the late 1980s and 90s, uh, the oxygen lung that was there in the form of the Amazon basin would be destroyed the uh, tropical air conversion studies would be damaged. The uh, fallout of precipitation, water upon the indigenous peoples, but also the countries along the Pacific, as well as Central America, would be damaged. In fact, the oxygen lung, really, of that part of the world would be damaged forever. And so he drew me to his attention, wanted to have my insights regarding how we could best monitor and give accountability to the government, how the Brazilian authorities could begin to re-educate the people as to taking greater responsibility 
for clear-cutting and deforestation. And of course, this led to positive change, but he, José Lutzenberg, lost his job in the presence because he wasn't considered too far out. In other words, one who was thinking outside the box. And this is a situation we must all face if we have professional talent. We must see the holistic picture and realize that we must put our, should we say, our career on the line if necessary to get a message through to tens of thousands of people in high places or, should we say, middle-range areas where local government is concerned. Well, one thing that developing nations are starting to realize, and this is something that's coming out of the United Nations as well, is that they need to rely on the people instead of the people always relying on government. It reminds me, ask not what the country can do for you, ask what you can yes. do for the country. It's a great line from Kennedy, but really it's still extremely strong and extremely important. And I want to say that for worldwide. And valid. Yeah, and valid. Yeah. You have to uh, put that information and that work out there, and that can change where you are. And I say this, many people, whether it's governments that we talk to or institutions or even people, again, they're frustrated and they need help. And people are out there frustrated, and the thing is, is that can all change by people walking forward, doing something, finding what they're good at, and really lending a helping hand. And I think I'm hoping this next part of this program will be really what people can do, what people can make a difference, and how we can – we're all together now with a group called Fions, and I know Mitchell's yeah. part of that. And we're trying to – bring together spiritual ideas into New York City and have meetings for people. But there also must be partnership with civil society as well as with private specialists. We have to, to forge a better and more meaningful teamwork. And if we do not do this with humanitarian goals quickly, then the cry of Mother Earth will not be heard and we will see in the industrial north the destruction of our social habitats like our indigenous brothers have seen creeping upon them now suddenly in South America. So we have this opportunity to be beacons of light, but also emphasis upon the positive skills on local levels building up into the greater understanding of the organic tree of life they're all part of. And it can be anything. It can be if you drive a truck, you can help move things from one place to another that is necessary. If you're a mother, you can help have, help children who really need your mothering talents. It's everything in everywhere. We just need to stop getting out of the fear and the frustration and move into the assistance. And I think this is the work of the Holy Spirit, actually, or the Divine Mother, uh, that is able to reach out and really be that helping hand everywhere. To say it another way, it's the rhythms of super nature and nature together. It is the song of the bird. It is the green phoenix rising up from the innermost aspects of your heart. It is the daily biorhythm, and this is where our work has also engaged leading musicians and composers who have used a type of higher spiritual music or mantras of positive invocations to give the daily dynamic that we need because we cannot simply handle facts and figures without seeing the larger blueprint of life. I want to share with you my thoughts. I very much appreciate all that you're both saying. I believe that the spiritual traditions of old and present are always bringing us to this idea of being present in the moment and to be really cognizant. When we do that, and we, as Zen says, when we're cutting the wood, we cut the wood. We're doing nothing other but 
cutting the wood and fetching the water. Uh, here are some of what that intelligence is in what both of you are saying. I want to take it another step. We have a subconscious, as we all know, and that subconscious gets programmed from the inside, but largely from the outside, starting with our own parents and their values. We absorb them like osmosis, and to the extent that we become conscious later in our lives, we become conscious of the way we get programmed, and then we can start to become ourselves, so to speak, not just the inheritor of what we've been given. And what we've been given, unfortunately, has put money as an idol. And we were taught in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not have idols. And, of course, we seem to think that that's other gods. Well, yeah, money has become a god. And, as I say, the transnational corporations have actually given making money a bad name, funny as that may sound, because making money in our world is not a bad thing. It's a thing that happens to be the generator of our economic basis. There's no problem in it, but there is a problem when we make it God above the value of all life, human life, all species life, all sentient life, of the Buddhists would say. And that, to me, is a critical piece of the interchange that we need to make because if we're going to put money above the environment, our beautiful, precious Gaia, the giver of life, as you're saying, Desiree, the Divine Mother, is utterly, completely, organically connected to Gaia. And if we make that faulty mental mistake, we're going to be going in the downward spiral instead of the upward. And we can be going toward so-called the sixth epic, as Ken Wilber and many others have discussed, instead of the sixth distinction. Yeah, well, said Mitchell, in fact, in the Barishith in Genesis, we are told that Abraham was a very rich person. But it's the values of all aspects of life, not just the values of currency, qua currency. There's the realization that we have to see the holistic wealth of life, and we must emphasize the opportunity we have from seeing the wealth of all of the medical breakthroughs that will come from the flora and fauna in Brazil, for example, which I am told by experts there is about 60% of future medicine. We have to see the wealth of all of the indigenous species, all of the life forms, the cultural traditions that can help us bridge, as a multicolored bridge, the distance and the gap between the different countries, the haves, the givens, that everyone can enjoy the blessedness of this fantastic treasury of knowledge that we are custodians of. So it's really, where is our focus? Now, Einstein, Mm -hmm. and we all admire Einstein, used to go up and meditate every morning. I know this because we have friends that uh, had inherited one of the houses he used to stay at, and Mm -hmm. there were records and pictures of this. And that's where he got his insight. So we're encouraging people, yes, you know, money is not a bad thing, but if that's your only focus, you know, as you can see, you'll never really be satisfied. So how can people be happy? We'll go back to gross national happiness. How can people be happy? You have to do it by really taking the time to not only enjoy life on a certain level, but also to meditate, to get in touch with nature, to get in touch with one another. And I go back to the two basic commandments, love the divine and love your fellow man. And when you put that first, 
things start coming towards you in a certain way that guides you to all that you need. And I know this is a simple message, but if if it's simple, do it. That's what I say. If it's so simple, do it. Because you will have a statement of happiness. You'll have that presence within you that is led by a greater universal thought. We're all part of a global mind, and I think we can know what the global mind needs. We can be a part of that global mind, that spark that helps get things going in the direction we want. We are part of the global mind, whether we want to be or not. That's just, we live inside a a society. We live in social relationships. We live inside a context. And so, you know, Sheldrake's work of a morphogenetic field is always sort of uh, recursively reiterating that. Well, I have a mantra right? that we use with respect to Mother Nature. It's it's uh, Gamatria Gaia, the knowledge, the science of Mother Nature in all yeah. of her forms, all of her present values that we are using day by day unconsciously that must be now understood in terms of consciousness engagement. Gamatria Gaia is part of a teaching also of sacred language or higher language Statements We call it also musical linguistics, to get the inner mm, psyche nice. to awaken and hear the vibration of Mother Nature as a steel working through us. And here is the fantastic treasury of the higher mind and the human mind, or the mind of the universe, engaging continually in refreshment, understanding, and sounds and bring insights into how we can meet the challenges. And if we're really part of this global mind, what does your spark in that global mind want to be? And that's something, if you look at it that way, I want to be a spark of love. I want to be a spark of compassion. I want to be a spark that really is able to help one another. I mean, that's, and see yourself as that, and then move forward in that field. And really, things start coming to you. You start maybe even changing friends and relationships, and you start really being able to be at the right place at the right time. And I'm looking at this uh, conference you were talking about at Cooper Union. And it's really voices of hope in a time of crisis. And I'm sure each one of those people have become that greater spark. You know, it's funny. I've been thinking about this. I I think about both our micro life and our macro life. I think of the life of, in the Buddhist lingo, of the Hinayana path and the Mahayana path or the Bodhisattvic path, and that there is a large part of our lives that is actually not ours at all. Funny thing to think about, that we think that our lives are ours, and we live them, at least in part, as though they are ours, but in another higher sense, they're really not ours at all. We were given life. We didn't actually make life. So number one, our life is a gift. Number one. Number two, if our world isn't happy, how can we be happy? We can't be. We're so organically interconnected with each other. Here, you two are married. And if one of you is really unhappy, how's the other one going to feel? You know. You both need to be in circulation with your energy, promoting happiness and well-being. And one of the reasons is not just for your own welfare and well-being and physiological health, by the way, because smiling and laughing and music creates that happiness internally and, and health physically, but because you are dedicated to being service in the world because that's following your heart. Desiree, which is a point that you were making very beautifully before, 
following your heart, which is following your passion, is going to breed more life. It's going to beget more life. So that is what we can each do individually on a local level to contribute to that global mind and be that spark. Right. So just going back for a minute, I mean, say Does if that one, resonate yeah. with what you're saying? But if one of us is unhappy, one of the things you can do is acknowledge why that person is unhappy, but then the next yeah. thing you do is find out how to move that forward, forward into something that's much more positive as to how we can transform. And yes, the plan Not is by denial, in other words, you're saying, but by listening, seeing, diagnosing, if you will, and then remedying. Yeah, remedying. And so we're all remedying, we're all able to remedy the unhappiness that it takes place on the planet in some way and form. And that's where we have to find our true mission, our true higher self. And this is, uh, to put it simply, it's the strengthening of capacities amongst ourselves in new partnership. It is the realization that we all are recognizing the the song of Mother Earth, but also the song of a new evolutionary process that leads us into what the keys of Enoch call new being, that we are holistic beings that ultimately will connect with a much larger cosmic frontier. Mm. We will discover the basic building blocks of life in space as it's being done now at the Goddard Space Flight Institute. We're going to even go beyond that as we begin to understand. What ex- institute ex- is that? Goddard Space Flight oh, Institute in yeah. Maryland. Right. And we're also going to go beyond that into the understanding of what exoplanetary systems are all about, systems that yeah. are similar to our solar system, where the evolutionary family of mankind can begin to migrate as well as to evolve into a greater environment. So we believe all of us have the ability to take the upward spiral, not only in the outer way that Dr. Hertek's been describing, but also that inner self. And it's really moving that forward. And when we become that inner self that is of the light, of the happiness, of the joy, of the compassion, we can start really spreading that energy out. We become spheres of or vortexes of that positive energy. If you stay in the negativity, you're not able to make a difference. Absolutely true. And you know neuroscience, which is just one of my favorite domains, uh, is so interesting these days because it's really looking at this field called neuropsychoimmunology. And what it's showing us is that there is a biochemical and a biohormonal profile for every single feeling, every single thought that goes through our brains. And we have some, you know, 40 to 75,000 thoughts a day. So think of how your blood profile is changing every day, your hormonal profile, your cellular profile, the, uh, the respiration of every single cell is changing depending on the quality and type of our thought and feeling. And, of course, I'm implying that the more elevated, the more aware, the more joyful those thoughts and feelings are, and it doesn't matter where you generate it from, just generate, you will be healthier, your immune system, everything will be operating on a higher level. Very interesting, isn't it? Desiree and I have had the opportunity to work with some of the more advanced research in this whole area in Germany and Russia, and I recommend the Journal of what is known as Neuron, connecting research at Bonn University in Germany and Göttingen, as well as other places, Heidelberg University, where they're beginning to understand what uh, the keys speak of in terms of the 
the pyramidal aspects of the shape of the cell and the axion dendrite opportunities to work together in new relationships of communication. But it gets mm, beautiful. Also, it gets also very Buddhist because the thing is, it really is up to yes. us to manage our thoughts, and that's at the heart of it. You wake up in the morning and all this. I think it's easier to pick up on negative thoughts than it is positive. But yeah. that's all right. tuning forks. Yeah. We have to make a difference. And what's interesting, if you go back to the indigenous people, for example, the Maasai culture in Central Africa, one of the things they said is that the rain and the whole environment around them is based on their thoughts and based on what they've done. Now, we uh, think that that's you're bringing this up. primitive stuff, but it's not, actually. No. If there is positive energy, if you're putting out positive realities, if things are shifting for the good, then, yes, sometimes rain does come or sun comes at the right time. And there's all this change. And the ancients understood nature and supernature and their connection to it. We need to realize that, too. This is true holistic thinking, Desiree. I'm glad you brought this we up. We've just come out with and we Let me just finish this. Um, uh, I know people and have known people who have gone into meditation and changed the weather, both to rain and to sun, and they're absolutely able to do it. And that is part of what you're referring to about, you know, the indigenous wisdom and this is also ancient Chinese practices of being able to use mind and intention to affect the elements. I mean, Wilhelm Reich came up with a rain machine. Sure, that was a more externalized technology, true enough, but the intent that was behind that technology and what he was able to affect is all part and parcel of the same through line. I'm sorry. No, no, well said, well said. And I just wanted to add to you and Desiree the fact we've been in several African situations of looking at the paranormal and paraphysical dimensions of shamanistic practice for changes, such as invoking water, invoking yes. uh, situations. The rain dance for the native correct, peoples. Of getting the upper hand on many of these challenges. We've come up with a new feature film called The Voice of Africa. This is the work we've spent over 30 years ago documenting with Credo Mutwa, a Zulu shaman, even during the apartheid period of South Africa with small cameras, we were able to get into the interior of certain parts and get the story directly from the work of the shaman who was showing us on film remarkable abilities of mind over matter. So this is an educational tool which we recommend to you out there hearing this program, a new film, very important because it cuts across all cultural lines and brings about what we call also the Buddha consciousness in the Sanskrit meaning enlightenment understanding as well as the Christed concepts are the higher aspect of divine service that we find in the Western culture. I just like to give our website which is www.futurescience.org or also www.keysofenoch.org. You'll find this video there at keysofenoch.org. What's interesting is Credo is uh, a shaman who really spent most of his life in South Africa. He studied primitive things, but you can listen to him. And it sounds like you're listening to someone with a, we'll say, a Ph.D. education. And he knows all the philosophies around the world because they're all kind of in unity and yes, oneness. Yes, indeed. That's, I mean, the work of uh, Fritjof Kapra, for instance, in the Tao of Physics, was, uh, for me, uh, one of the beautiful lessons 
in how ancient wisdom and modern physics, especially quantum physics, are really holding hands. And there have been many deniers so curiously among physicists that say that one has nothing to do with another. I, I think that's just almost uh, laughable, quite honestly. Well, this goes back because to your Because it's so obvious that they are one. One is enunciating the other, but one in poetic language, one in scientific. I'm sorry? Yes, this goes JJ. back to fundamentalism as a scripting, where scientists are just as localized in their concept of a given scientific method without looking around the corner at yes, others. Indeed. This is meaningful. But quantum physics is blowing this open because with non-locality right. saying that we're all interconnected, I mean, they can show it. They've actually shown it between electrons and photons right. being interconnected. And I believe that people at Stanford Research Institute have shown it with remote viewing, which has shown that we are all interconnected. I yes, exactly. And, and, and in fact, another a key point of neuropsychology is the notion of the mirror neuron, which means that we're actually each other all the time and becoming more and more each other simply by spending time and bonding. And then the work of Lynn McTaggart call, in the her field. book called The Field and the Bond, which shows how cooperation, how love and the biohormone oxytocin is released when people love each other, when people look in each other's eyes. There's just amazing things, and they're finding this also with dogs and their relationship to humans and the, and the love bond that occurs. And there's when oxytocin starts to flood our tissue, we become uh, basically bliss bunnies, if you will. And how can you fight happiness, happiness? Happiness. How can you fight people that you love? You know, you're you're in love, and you're not going to, you know, be violent and conflicted with people. You will find a way to communicate. Just well, right. this is what we really have to understand: that we really are all interconnected. So this idea of fighting and destroying and and right. con controlling and having power over really needs to change. And it's going to take a while, especially for people in certain parts of the country, to really understand that. But on the other hand, when you have people like Rupert Sheldrake showing even the cell phones, I mean, how many of you out there have predicted exactly. who was calling you before you've been picked up your cell phone because you had just thought about them? It's an evidence that we're starting to realize we are connected. We don't realize it until these things happen to us. And it's showing on scientific channels and it's showing on consciousness channels. We are really one. Hallelujah. Absolutely true. It's so interesting that the uh, the modern science is um, corroborating what we know in our guts. I, I always say that we never needed science to tell us the truth, but it's nice to have the corroboration. <laughs> so we're becoming more of we and less of I. There we go. I'm glad you said that, JJ, because I was wanted to bring another frame to the conversation, which is uh, that you know when we're children, we are born to be initially narcissistic and egocentric. It's just the way of the world that you you are defined by me, and you discover the boundaries of me. But as you as we develop, and we know this through developmental psychology, that we become from me to we, and we go from egocentric to world-centric. And then we go, uh, to follow what you were also saying before, JJ, of a cosmological perspective, and the 
speak on the exopolitics aspect of things, exoconsciousness, and we go then to a cosmocentric, where we can look at our world the way the astronauts did in the early 70s, uh, Ed Mitchell and others, who of course was the founder of the Institute for Noetic Sciences, and look back at our Earth and planet and say, oh my God, this is beautiful. We have a whole other level of identity, which is a galactic one. You know, and then becomes universal one. Yeah, so this Please is going comment. from Homo sapient, sapient to Homo noeticus, to use Ed Mitchell's concept of thinking humanity to universal humanity. We are universal humans, waking up in a fantastic universe, both within us as well as surrounding us. And as we connect the we within ourselves to the pluralistic cultures that are part of the scenario of evolution, as we begin to even expand our evolutionary quest of knowing more about the living universe, suddenly we realize that we are universal humans taking charge and becoming, shall we say, prepared to graduate from schoolhouse Mother Earth to the University of the Cosmos. This is a very exciting time, and this goes into even other dimensions of what the indigenous people in South America told me about the coming of the star people or star nations some other worlds who are concerned about our survival, who are showing us signs in the sky now that we must prepare for, for this great quantum change that really revolves around love, understanding of the divinity within us as well as the divinity beyond us that we qualify for by learning the lessons of Schoolhouse Mother Earth. And this is why I think the Adamic species is very unique. I mean, we've worked with the indigenous people, as we mentioned, in Brazil, they themselves have this mind link. If you said to them, are we interconnected, they would say, of course. I mean, they are so interconnected that they really can't place their thoughts. They don't even have to talk. They can actually just, you know, send their thoughts to each other. Telepathically. exactly. And I believe we have the same thing with not only the global mind that we've talked about, which is the Earth mind, but also with the cosmic mind, that we can communicate to the cosmos, and the cosmos can give us insights. And I think some of the greatest insights on this planet have come from outside of this realm and giving us understanding of how to move forward with our sciences, with our other uh, abilities of even to understand archaeology from the past. This is all part of what we're evolving into as a species, to be able to link to that universal mind, not just the global mind. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. That's the next step. JJ, please, your words of wisdom for our audience in closing. Well, we are being given a passport to the cosmos. We are being given a new understanding through the fantastic breakthroughs that we're seeing from the work of James Cameron and others of the other species in the, in the depths of the oceans that we're just beginning to realize want us to take a better stewardship of Mother Earth use the research and terminology of Bucky Fuller, we are on spaceship Earth, waking up really to the fact that we are pilots of where the spaceship is going to go. And I think it's time that we realize that we are really the manifestation of this unique mystery of being part divine and part human in human form, with the emphasis now being placed on the divine. Recognize we are one in unity, one in spirit, and one in prophetic attunement with what some would call the house of many mansions, the cosmic frontiers of eternal life for those who have understood the breakthroughs in genetics, the breakthroughs in food engineering, the breakthroughs in the secrets of Mother Earth herself. What is next? The frontier 
of the everlasting cosmos that we are part of. Let us be blessed and let us take serious the challenge, the cry of Mother Earth within us, that we are to be good stewards. Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Hurtock, so much. Desiree Hurtock, your contributions are so appreciated, and you're doing beautiful work. Please keep it up. Give your websites one more time for our audience. Right. Most of our material can be found at www.keysofenoch.org, but we also have www. Future Science, and we also have another one called HealThePlanet.org because we think it's important that we put on things like sending prayers for the Ebola, sending energy even for someone who wants a prayer. You can put your prayer on there. Very important. Also, Fukushima, the situation there, all of these things that we must attend to by activating the global consciousness. And here we begin to see the mind dynamics of what the shamans, the prophets, the mystics of all ages to recognize that there's this divine spark within us that we can mobilize now in ways that are fantastic. Absolutely. In fact, those of you who have not yet heard the interview I did and the trialogue we had, uh, the Hurt Talks and myself, on Progressive Radio Network, and it's on YouTube as well, on Fukushima in particular, and it's... Uh, ramifications for our planet at large, you should just go to a abetterworld.tv and put in the name Hurtok into the search engine, and you will find it. It is there, and share it with your friends, because this is really a very potent interview, as, of course, is today's. Uh, this is the kind of dialogue the three of us have over and over again, both uh, in the media on radio, television, and between ourselves when we are either teaching or even just having dinner together. This is the kind of work we do, the kind of thinking process we do to always germinate and fertilize greater hope, greater sense of mission so we can all help. We help each other in moving forward on our dear, precious planet. So thank you all for listening. I always so appreciate your your attention to these critical subjects. And uh, here at A Better World, we try to do it all with a light touch and a smile and a laugh. Even though we see the world is crumbling on one hand, we know that this is just the beginning of a new step of our moving forward with an evolutionary spin toward our next epoch. So on that note, please visit us and spend time at abetterworld.tv. Our television shows are now being streamed for the first time only, and you can see that also at abetterworld.tv. It's at a very affordable price for a month, and uh, my show with the Hurtalks and many others are currently available there over on the right-hand side of the home page. So with that, I want to just uh, make mention of the November 8th uh, Voices of Hope, the Economics of Happiness Conference taking place at the Great Hall of Cooper Union, where uh, luminaries such as Abraham Lincoln once spoke, and it continues, folks, and we are now the leaders of our world. We are it. We are who we've been looking for. So on that note, thanks again for joining us. Get the newsletter, and I look forward to seeing you all next 